tēnā e tama ki te taia e koe tēnei mahi, ka taia anō hoki e koe ngā mahi o te hāhi. E te iwi, nau mai hoki mai anō ki atea hi kā, ko Justin Murray tēnei, māua ko. Marae, rakuraku tēnei, kia ora tātou katoa. We've got a big shout out to all the kapahakaropu that competed at the regional competitions here in Pōneke last night. Tauke. And internationally, the Beijing Olympics debuted. Now what we see on our screens are mere snippets. A quarter way upon the shoulders of the flag bearer at the opening ceremony. Haka breaking out for medal recipients. Yet a team of Māori experts that includes Amsteredi have been quietly working to ensure a deeper, more meaningful experience of tikanga Māori for the New Zealand Olympic team. We had the cloak and the pounamu. Things Māori are beautiful, the cloak... Kākahuna te rangatira, mm. the clothes of rank, the green stone, a huge piece of green stone. And to adorn the athletes themselves, each athlete was carved a pounamu, wow. yeah, representing each Olympic, you know, their status, so to drape around their, you know, around their necks. Sex, drugs and rock and roll. Well, who wouldn't succumb to that kind of temptation as a musician? Does having an upbringing steeped in religion make it any easier or harder to avoid? As an 18-year-old, I retaliated and I said, no way, Dad, I'm not going down that track. I'm heading yes, out of here. I'm heading out of here. And um, that's when I um, saw that music was a ticket, uh, was a means of me to, to move out of the par. Find out in the second part of an interview with Ruya Apirahama. But right now, it's time to... Ah, ah, ah. Kona te reo. It's time to ah, 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 We thought, because there are so many kupi to choose from, this is now a regular fixture on Te Ahika. Ai, tikara Mariah, this week it's all about the Olympics. Kauhoi Orite is swimming costume, or togs as we call them. Well, I think it was about maybe 20 when I last wore togs. Koko is to swim. Now, Sarah Alma is pretty mean at the sport Eke Paihikara. Even though she doesn't perform for the Olympics anymore, eh, because she retired. That's cycling. Justine, did you ever own a pair of those nice, shiny little Uh, lycra-fitting bicycle shorts? Like Millie Vanilli? Yeah, sorry, I did. Back in 1986. Now, this is a favourite of mine to watch. Taka Pore Pore is... That's gymnastics. It's a favourite of mine as well. Poitsu Kohu is... Basketball and our wahine toa team are in Beijing. Go the tall ferns. Hikirua is weightlifting. Gee, they make some mean facials, eh? <laughs> Miki Miki is boxing. Kapow! And Fana is... <laughs> archery. Yeah, man. Kuera itahi o ngā kupu o ngā kemu Olympics. Now, for a list of the athletes and the sports at the Olympics, you can check out our website, radionz.co.nz. I'm Maraia Rakuraku. I'm Justine Murray, and this is Te Ahika. Hare ruia a pirahama, ruia a pirahama. Now, there's a fella associated with waiata Māori. One o'clock, dun, two o'clock, dun, 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 three o'clock, dun, 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 dun. Southside of Bombay, Dave's man, to his translation of Bob Māori standards into Te Reo Māori. Matika, maranga. 
That's right. And while his songwriting has reached almost prolific proportions, his career has not been without its struggles and challenges. Aperehama was brought up surrounded by music at Atanapa, what with brass band, singing. And with his parents holding senior positions within the church, it all became a little too much. And when an opportunity presented itself for an escape... Well, he did what any young person would. My father, he was uh, secretary, general secretary with the Ratana Church Movement for 40 years. Uh, our mother is a member of the choir and they were both part uh, members of the national executive. So we couldn't avoid a whole lot of uh, expectations, responsibilities, obligations that were placed on all of us. But my father, he, he particularly placed a, or what I felt at the time was a heavy obligation and he had high expectations of me. And as an 18-year-old ready to go out and I wanted to break out of the pie and you know, and after growing up in, 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 in a very religious and, and at times very conservative and restrictive upbringing. So as a young person, there were other things that I wanted to explore and experiment with outside of that, like any young person. And, uh, of course, when I had the opportunity to move to Wellington uh, to Teachers College, that was my ticket out of the pie and my ticket out of that, you know, that comfort zone. My father didn't like it, although he encouraged us to go out and education was important. But he wanted me to take on the role eventually of becoming the secretary, becoming a minister of the church, and he was also involved in the Muri Fenua land claims uh, with Machirata, etc. And so uh, he was passionate about that, and he wanted myself and also the rest of our brothers and sisters to take on some of those roles and responsibility. As an 18-year-old, I retaliated and I said, no way, Dad, I'm not going down that track. I'm heading yes, out of here. I'm heading out of here. And um, that's when I... Um, saw that music was a ticket, uh, was a means of me to, to move out of the par. And, of course, my father, he didn't like that. Uh, I got to Wellington. I joined Kaihana, which was the first band before we formed Southside of Bombay. And, of course, being a young person in the nightclubs in Wellington, uh, I was exposed to a lot of things from sex, drugs, rock and roll, um, uh, meeting a lot of people, falling in love, falling out of love, all those things that you would do as a young person. And while, as you were point, uh, raised earlier about our values and about church life, I, I did go through a certain conflict in my life. And in particular, on a religious level, uh, I think I was going through an identity crisis at the time uh, because I grew up in partly taking a lot of things for granted. Uh, my father and mother, who were bilingual, our community, and a lot of the, the matauranga or the knowledge that our father had, and he was trying to pass that on. And as a young person, you know, I'm not ready for that yet, Dad. I just want to go and have a good time. So I moved to Wellington and uh, met a lot of people, made a lot of friends, a lot of experiences, and I'm so grateful for it. And as I said, going through an identity crisis, there was a time there where I was conflicting between whether I was a Rastafarian or a Ratana. And was there any difference between the both? And as I got older and matured a little bit more and understood, it took me to go out of the palm and to be part of something else like Rastafarianism, uh, being exposed to some of my um, passions and other things in life as a youth brought me back around again, and through all of that experience, I'm so grateful because it helped me get out of myself for a moment, what I was brought up, and then to see it from another perspective. And then as I got older, I realized, gee, there's something about this. And I thought to myself, 
after a while, gee, my dad and some of the things that he was saying, you know, rang true. But all in all, uh, it's all been a great journey. So how are you now? How am I now? Well, I feel that I'm, after 20 years since I uh, released What's the Time, Mr. Wolf from Southside of Bombay, I had my dash of uh, the music scene back then, travelling around, going overseas. Uh, and for a moment there, uh, a few years ago, through going through the music industry, I fell into the loop like a lot of people uh, of the ego and fell into the loop of drugs and alcohol. And for a while, um, my challenges, uh, I had a number of challenges of dealing with alcoholism and particularly uh, drug addiction. And so I went through a number of uh, challenges, went into rehab to try and clean my life up. And uh, for a lot of people who were surprised because of the upbringing and background I had, they were surprised that somebody uh, of my upbringing could have an addiction or could have issues like that. And I suppose in hindsight it was my retaliation against my father and and I felt because he was trying to determine and control my direction, I didn't want to hurt him, but I had to find other ways to hurt him, if you know what I mean, without trying to hurt him. And it ended up down this track of addiction. Um, and also, as I was mentioning earlier, my identity crisis between Rastafari. I wanted to be like Bob Marley. And I thought that if smoking dope and, and living that type of lifestyle, that I could be like Bob Marley and, and also the philosophies of Rastafarianism, that, you know, the weed gives you contact to the Almighty and God. Well... Through all that journey, I found that that's, that uh, it was a lot different than what I thought it was. I spent time in rehab in Auckland, and uh, I went through different periods where I went clean for a month. Then, like a lot of those, you go through addiction, uh, you fall off the bike, and um, you relapse, and then having to go through that again. I went to my community, and uh, I first approached my old people, my kaumatuas, back in Ratana, back in Ratana to help, for, to try and seek some help. And they were also Māori health organisations. And the response I got was saddening. They ostracised me, and, and there were those who were ashamed that I could come back and say, I've got an addiction, you know, I need help. And some of my kaumatua and pakekes were... Were, were not up with that. And my mother and father at that time, my father was ready to pass over and he was uh, ready to, to hand the reins over, so to speak. So for me, when when the career of What's the Time, Mr. Wolf, Southside of Bombay and the, and the movie Once Were Warriors started to pick up, I could see, you know, the great opportunities in the rising star kind of scenario. But uh, back home, my father, with those opportunities, expectations was drawing me to come back and when he became more and more ill I had to move back home and I had to make a hard decision do I want to follow this career or do I go back and make peace with my father reconcile with him and deal with the issues that I knew that were important to him at that time I wasn't ready to take it on but I knew I would have to eventually so with all of that and that type of pressure and with the addiction I went back and spoke to my mother and father about it and uh, I was so grateful that the last 11 months I had with my father while trying to deal with these issues helped me reconcile with my dad and the healing. And I remember when he was in hospital and we were ready to go off to Auckland to record a, a single, Katangi Te Chichi, Katangi Te Kaka. He said to me, son, 
I want you to follow this pathway. I want you to be this. I said to him, no, Dad, this is my career. This is what I'm passionate about, music. I love it, Dad. And we cried and we hugged and he says to me, well, and he said to me in Māori, tēnai tamā ki te taia e koe tēnei mahi, ka taia anō hoki e koe ngā mahi o te hāhi. And basically what that meant was, son, if you overcome these challenges and you're successful in your music career, then you have overcome, uh, you have overcome the issues of the church and uh, you've addressed what I wanted and intended for you. So we reconciled. And when we went to Auckland, I recorded Katangi Te Tichi, and in the final mix down of the song, we, I had recorded my father at the hospital and I added his voice into the recording. And as we finished the final mix down of the song, Katangi Te Titi, I got a phone call and my father passed away at that moment. And so for me, that was a turning point. And for a lot of us, a lot of people who have to go through some of the dark times in our lives in order to appreciate the, the, the day, the daytime and the dawn, uh, for me, that was a turning point. And from there, that, that began my journey into recovery uh, with my father. And then so I had my mother with us. And I decided to go back home and live the following three years with my mum, taking her to dialysis hospital, spending all that time I could, uh, knowing that I had turned my back on a musical career for a moment, just to have those golden moments with your parents. And particularly as Māori, the transferring of a lot of things that for us we take for granted, or as I mentioned earlier, you know, too heavy to take on. And so between those years with my mother... I made a promise to her and I said, Mum, you know, you know that I've been struggling with addiction for a long time now. And she says, yes, son. And at the end of the day, nobody can make you but yourself. At the end of the day, it's only you. There are things outside of your control you, you have no control of. But at the end of the day, what you do have control of is yourself. And so it was through those journeys with my mum that I realized that let the past be the past. That the things of the past is not worth dwelling over. And uh, let the future and tomorrow take care of itself and don't be concerned to try and bring the future, drawing it to you too fast, too quickly, and to deal with the moment of now. And I tell you what, uh, having having children, and particularly my son Manoa, uh, babies are a gift because they actually show to us as adults what it is like to live in the now. Because babies live in the now. They don't dwell on yesterday. They don't worry about tomorrow. Babies live in the now, in the moment. Oh, I want to do this. Oh, look at that. Oh, I want to do that. And so through those things, I learned that real empowerment is in the now. So learning that and going through with my mother and then going into finding help. And as I said, I was ostracized from my community. There were those in Māori organizations, when they found out who I was, they were shocked, taken back and going, ooh. And as you know, the Māori world is very small. And I was uh, concerned about if I went into the Māori world that more people will know and hear about Ruya being an addict. But in order for me to be part of that recovery journey... You know, I had to admit it to myself, to my family, the ones I loved. And uh, I ended up in a federal detox and at Argosy um, Rehab in Auckland. I went through a program, in the 12-step program. Uh, and during that time, as I finished, just about finished the program, there were a number of my whanau. And with addiction, it's very hard to remove yourself and keep yourself clean. And particularly when you go back amongst your own community and family, friends who, for them, that life of drugs, alcohol, etc. is normal. 
and uh, it was hard to try and break away from that while still trying to maintain your connection and your love with your family. But I realized that uh, sometimes your own community and your own family are perhaps not the right people to help you. So that led me to uh, drug rehab, 12-step program, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcohol Anonymous, and Marijuana Anonymous. And these three organizations, although not Māori, and sometimes going through an addiction, you try and find all excuses to not make it work. And I found out afterwards that these people actually helped me and gave me the techniques to help me get out of the battle. I'm happy and confident now that I've battled it. And uh, I've been clean for some time now. And the longest that I did, I, when I made the promise to my mother, I kept clean for 12 months after she passed away. And then I relapsed, and then following, I made another two years. And so now I've been in recovery and been clean for for going on for three years now. Wow. So in all that journey, I saw a lot of our people also affected by that, and I was moved. And while being in there, I was inspired to write a lot of music, as you do and when you start digging deep. And sometimes we have to dig through all the crap in the barrel to get down to the bottom where the gold is. And in all of that, I'm not ashamed about admitting about those frailties or shortcomings. Neither am I embarrassed about my journey. Uh, in fact, it, I, am, I, am, uh, I celebrated myself where I've come from, how I can now, where I am now, how I can help my family others who are, are going through those problems, not just an addiction, but just about relationships, building, how to maintain relationships. Is that because you've got a better grip on yourself, that you're better about dealing with substances and dealing in relationships and dealing with your tamariki? Uh, most definitely, and in this industry, uh, if you're not balanced, then you got, if you're not balanced and focused, you can lose yourself very easily. And um, as you pointed out, the, the, over those journeys and those challenges, it all taught me one thing, coming back again, you, yourself. You, can know, you only have control over yourself, your actions, how you respond to certain things. It's you, what you do with it. So whatever happens out there can happen. It's how you react to it. And through that, it strengthened me. As you were saying, and today I can walk out confidently now and know with music the things that I love, the, the, the journey that I've had, the challenges and the successes as well, could celebrate. Um, I, I, I believe now I'm heading into my, I'm 40, hmm, hmm. <laughs> going into my 40, hmm, hmm. But um, in all of that now I can look back and consider myself ready, focused. And there are things that I wasn't ready for when I was in my 20s that I'm ready for now. And what are you ready for now? Well, I'm ready to, uh, to take on things that I wasn't ready to take on before, like with regards to my mo mother and father. Uh, although I've contributed to the renaissance of Māori language, etc., Māori music language, and still passionate about it. For the music career, I'm really focused on uh, particularly heading into Asia. I spent some time in Japan last year, uh, travelled overseas with Moana and other artists as well through Europe, uh, Greece, Germany, uh, over to Australia. Um, but in the response that I got overseas is totally different to here. 
here in New Zealand, while we're still struggling with bilingualism, multilingual, multiculturalism, etc., uh, as opposed to Europe and Germany, here in New Zealand, we've got 4 million. You can go into Berlin and there's over 9.5 million, 10 million. Or you can go to Japan and there's 120 million. So it puts things in perspective in terms of population, market, and what's considered normal and what's not normal. So growing up in New Zealand, you had these perceptions of 3 million, 4 point million, the attitudes towards Māori language music. Only 20 years ago, we had the last topping charts of Poie, E.E. Uh, the last Māori language um, music songs. And I've often wondered why is it so difficult now with more Māori language than ever, Māori language music than ever, Iwi radio stations, we have more opportunities to composing, producing Māori language music, yet we can't top the charts. But as I said, the experience overseas, while that may be the attitude in New Zealand, and we've still got a lot of maturing to do, New Zealand as a whole is still in their adolescence, we're still a young nation. But when you go to Germany, Japan, where they've got a long history, or you can stand in Greece and you're standing at buildings that are a 1,000 years old, 2,000 years old, then you start putting things into perspective about nation building. So uh, overseas... Larger... So you're ready to launch out. Totally, totally. Um, and I think the timing, I've always been reluctant to, while there's the opening overseas... Uh, and the overwhelming response from people overseas, most of the time people don't even understand Māori language. But as I was mentioning in Europe, you go to Europe and there are people who are multilingual, speak four or five languages, so language isn't an issue. Or you can go through Japan and while they're predominantly Japanese, they are starting to open up to other languages, Korean, Chinese, etc. So for other countries around the world, bilingual, multilingual language songs are, you know, it's not an issue. So what is the common language then? Common language is spirit as opposed to language. You can hear, you can go to any country in the world and you can hear from merengue, Latino, Chicano, or you can go through to uh, Africa and hear uh, uh, merengue or different other, uh, samba, uh, karimba. You can hear these type of grooves. And same here in Tel Māori. Uh, reggae, R&B, down to our pao, patere, pokeka. And I learned overseas that language isn't so much the barrier. The spirit of a song can capture people. You don't necessarily have to understand the language. But if the spirit of the song is moving, and I've been in other countries where you can't help but start tapping your feet because the spirit of the song picks you up. So what is your favourite song then? Oh, I've got lots of favourite songs. Um, I grew up... Uh, it's not unusual to that's be right. From Tom Jones to Glenn Miller, the big band, to Bird... Uh, um, who, who else is there? Or all the jazz great singers, all the blues singers, all the black singers. And your uh, mother's got a lot to be responsible for. Oh, yes, and I'm and I'm thankful for her because of her passion. And uh, But my generation in particular, I grew up, my older brothers and them watching Jimi Hendrix uh, coming out of the rock into the, the heavy rock uh, and the blues, uh, and also uh, Tower of Power, uh, all those black bands too as well, brass bands, but in particular Bob Marley, uh, reggae, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, growing up as a young youth in the late 70s, uh, I remember watching uh, Bastion Point at that time. And some of those memories have stuck in my head. 
And from there, the rise of Bob Marley, What Be Happened, Herbs, was a great exciting time for Maori music, for me anyway. Uh, we were looking, as a young youth, we were looking for role models. And the only role models at the time that were Maori were Howard Morrison, Tui Teka, you know, the Maori showbiz. people they, they were. They are. They are fantastic. But uh, as young youth, we were also looking for that militant kind of, you know, uh, retaliation type thing. And Bob Marley uh, provided that. And so much so when we were growing up that we loved Bob Marley that in our communities and I'm not sure at the whole country, we adopted him and started calling him Uncle Bob. So uh, for those reasons, reggae, because it's an indigenous form, and Bob Marley, role model to me, how you can take an indigenous form of music. You know, and back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, people didn't know how to dance to reggae. They were still stuck in disco. And uh, he showed to me that, you know, taking an indigenous form, making it contemporary, and then bringing it back out. And now 25 years later, you know, it's the foundation of hip-hop and a lot of the hip-hop scenes. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Other than that, there's, yeah, there's too many genres and too many uh, music styles to mention, but I love all of them, e even classical. I've got one final question. Mm -hmm. Finish this sentence. I love being Māori because... I love being Māori because kui, kui, fiti, fiti ora, we have a great future to look forward to. Let the past be the past. And those things that need to be reconciled, we do it with peace and love. And it must be reconciled. But for me now, what we do now today, for me as a Māori, it's about looking at family, whānau, friends and people who we love and, and I deeply have a lot of passion for. I'm excited because while in our country we have a lot to, to, to gain and we have still a lot to learn, but when I, can, when I look back over our history, there's every reason for us to be thankful and grateful for. And so to be Māori, even through our struggles and through our history, I want us to celebrate because we have every reason to. And like all nations, the Japanese have a koha to contribute to the world. The Asians have a koha to contribute. Africans, Pākehā, Indian. The Māori community have a great koha to make to the world. And I believe it's yet to be seen as a whole. But this nation and this uh, millennium is exciting because I believe after the Asians, it's our time. Kia ora. Ruia Apirahama with Anatapiata. So, what is it that distinguishes New Zealand from other countries? What do we associate with Aotearoa that makes it different to, like, Spain, flamenco dancing? Japan, there's the kimono, samurai. United Kingdom. Beef eaters. Ireland, leprechauns. So how do you pick a kiwi out of the crowd? Say, on an international setting at a sporting event. There's silver ferns, now that's cool. Flags. Doodle tamoko, not, not so cool. cool. One of the more obvious. And vocal, the, the haka. haka. And no doubt we'll see that pulled out over the next two weeks. So, Mariah, Māori images or practices signify a New Zealand identity. Yep, pretty much. That's evident with haka, as anyone who has ever attended an All Blacks game overseas will tell you. The loudest and often proudest team supporters are clad in black. 
screaming up the haka. Actually, you know, many Pākehā have told me they gained an appreciation of Māori only when they lived overseas. It works both ways, though, eh, that pride. Only recently, a Pākehā contestant in an international beauty pageant performed the haka utilising actions restricted to males. Now, that ain't tika. Mm-hmm. And while some would say she meant well, the offence that caused would far outweigh the intention. Seems the NZOC, the New Zealand Olympic Committee, is ensuring such shallow treatment of tikanga Māori doesn't occur during the Olympic Games this year. Now that's largely due to the work of Amster Reedy, who with his team advises the committee and holds the official title Māori Cultural Advisor to the Athletes. The team has worked hard to ensure all aspects of tikanga Māori is adhered to and followed. For the athletes, their whānau and the people here at home. Given in that extra oomph, Justin Amsterdam caught up with really, Amster at his Wellington home. No te kaipuke, tati mana, nāna i kawe i ngā hoia i rāwahi te pakanga tua rua, whānau mai au te tau uh, ko tahi mana i warau whātikau mā toru, uh, te rua te kaumārima o hepetema, re, re, no roto au i te tai rāwhiti, no ngā ko tāku hapū ki te tahaki tāku pāpa, ko te aitanga mate, ki tāku kōka, ko putānga, uh, me ngāti ue pōhatu, a uh, muri mai nei ko ngāti pōrau. Uh, what's your role with, um, within the um, NZOC? My role is the athlete services whereby um, I assist in the... Uh, the more psychological side of things in terms of uh, motivating the athletes mm. as well as assisting them in terms of uh, what we feel is a component which is appropriate from Aotearoa and that includes uh, not only the haka but it includes proverbs, it includes um, proverbs of achievement, stories uh, inciting the athletes to perform uh, and it's all drawn on um, sometimes folklore puraka, mm. kōrero puraka folklore and uh, all the all the kōrero or the, or the yeah, the kōrero which incites well, I feel that uh, shows our uniqueness as Aotearoa but also um, you know in terms of what athletes or what people should who represent Aotearoa should hear in terms of no matter what sport they're in, whether it's rugby or whether mm. it's cricket or or squash or skiing, um, uh, uh, the the, the Māori uniqueness is probably what makes Aotearoa what it is. And so, how do you um, put that into practice? Um, it's, yeah, it's quite a it's quite a, a, a job. For instance, when we went to Athens in mm. in uh, two thousand and four, we created a program uh, which was much more than the haka. Yeah. Because previous to that, in Manchester and Sydney Olympics, uh, all people knew about being. From Aotearoa was the haka, and probably yeah. that's probably you know at the top of the list in terms of what distinguishes Aotearoa from the rest of the mm-hmm. world. But uh, they set up a committee of myself, 
Trevor Shayla, Della Seymour, Howie Tamati and Juana Davis to uh, concoct or draw up a program which was uh, which could be presented to the athletes and the coaches or anybody who represented Aotearoa in the Olympic Games team uh, that they should hear and distinguish itself and also to inspire the athletes. And um, we had the committee uh, were very busy for at least a couple of years before mm. the team went over. And then uh, we did a presentation to the New Zealand Olympic Committee. The presentation went along the lines of the hakas at the extreme end, but we also know how to sing songs. Yeah. We know how to bring up children. We know how to plant food. You know, we know how to do all those things that a culture does mm. know, in terms of, um, of uh, any culture. So trying to get a balanced program rather yeah. than just singling out the haka as, you know, Māori being warriors and, you yeah. know, uh, all that sort of stuff. We are warriors. We were a warrior society. Probably still are a warrior society, but it's shown in different in different ways. But um, the balance was important to me anyway, to us. And so we presented to the NZOC, which is the New Zealand Olympic Committee, and um, Trevor Shaler and I got the nod. I got the nod as the pukenga, one with the skills, and he came as the supporter. So we had a program whereby singing songs and proverbs of achievement, and also we, or Trevor anyway, initiated the conversation to uh, between Rangadimu. Um, um, uh, from down in Ngaitahu there, she's a weaver of cloaks, and uh, they wove this beautiful cloak called Mahutonga mm. for the people to wear, for the for the flag bearer to wear. Oh wow! And uh, not to be outdone, Ngaitahu also came out with some uh, a big huge ponamu green stone. That would form a modi stone mm. that the athletes would love to rub, you know. And the more rub, the more they rubbed it, the shiny it became. So we had the cloak and the ponamu. Mm. Things Māori are beautiful. The cloak, he kākahu no te rangatira, mm. the clothes of rank. Uh, the, 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 the green stone, a huge piece of green stone. And to adorn the athletes themselves, each athlete was carved a ponamu wow. representing each Olympic you know the status so to drape around their you know around their necks. We had the not only the, the sort of uh, philosophical stuff but we were able to back that up with ponamu like you know ponamu is green stones like there's the proverb Ahoko iti he mapihi ponamu that's a famous saying whereby we may be a small country, but we're made of greenstone, you know. It's about quality rather than quantity, you know. And all these sort of corridor that goes with greenstone, just amazing. And you and you, uh, um, you can embellish a presence overseas and present Aotearoa in that manner, whereby it's, you know, it's a wonderful place to be, to come from. Mm. And... Um, so we, you can see we were adding to the haka, you know. There's the greenstone, there's the cloak, and there's the personal green, you know, mm. the ponamu that they wear on themselves. So, 
a lot of the athletes have said to me that um, they've never taken them off. Wow. Yeah, then they've run, they've performed, you know. Some said, well, you know, we'd like to take it off in respect, you know, just in case, it, you know. Uh, but they'd always put it back on, and, you know. This is how, how important these, these taong um, are, you know, the treasures are. So this is particularly, um, uh, that's a special part of when the athletes get to Athens and to Torino, to the Winter Olympics, and then to Melbourne, and then into Beijing. We will do that sort of, uh, you know, those sort of uh, presentations again and again because the uniqueness, uh, the distance from home, mm. what more do you want exactly. to remind you, you know, in terms of who we are, where we're from, why we're here, and you know. And, and it's kind of inspirational stuff. Like you, you talk about, for instance, Ahakoiti and Maapihi Pounamu. This what one one of the warriors said to our warrior Tinatoka. He was a very tough warrior, very small fella. He said, uh, "This guy, up and we looked at him and said, 'Toiti hoki, how small you are.'" And the retort from Tinatoka was, "Ahakoiti and Maapihi Pounamu." I may be small, but I'm made of greenstone. Mm. So that was a kind of a standoff, and it's a warrior to warrior. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, see, we have we, we still haven't you know the haka is not we haven't gone to the haka yet. So we're talking. I'm talking about athletes, you know, to talk about what is home when they're well away from home, and it's all this, you know. All these beautiful emblems of the cloak, the green stone, the haka. And then suddenly we see we get a, we get a, you know, a, a, a rounded whole philosophy and practice of what it means to represent Aotearoa. So that's how that, and, and I spend quite a bit of time uh, looking it up. The fern is very important, you know. The fern. Because I had, I, I understand you had you designed and and you. Eight eight frond of the, of the fern mm. for Beijing. Yeah, that that was yeah, that, that also had a uh, the fern is the fern is famous second to none in terms of what Aotearoa stands for. Without the ferns, the tall trees of for, of, of Tane don't mm. don't uh, grow that high. You know, this you can stand under some of these trees and not see the top. Yeah, that's how tall they are. But when you look out around them, there's, there's these ferns, they're, you know, they're nurturing. They're like the coaches nurturing, you know, the, the athletes. You know, they grow tall, the trees, as I said, the Waonui Atane, mm-hmm. the main trees of Tane. So, again, the um, the essence of all this stuff is about taking from a natural environment what... what uh, you know, some of the, and relate them to human, human ability. So the the tall trees of Tani, they're like you know they're the, the the rowers, you know, the jumpers, the athletes, you know, grow strong and tall. And then we have you know the the fakatoki or the proverbs which go with it, you know, kakite kotefat kakite unless the heart sees, the eyes are never going to see. There's none so blind as those who will not see, and you know. Um, 
it's all about your hearts in it, Nina. And then, ko te amorangi ki mō, ko te hāpai o ki muri. These people are the amorangi of Aotearoa. But they don't forget those who are behind because, you know, they're there because of those who helped them to get there. He aotearangi ka uhia, ma te huruhuru te manu karere. Like clouds adorn the sky, birds need feathers to fly. And because we come here to soar. And um, you asked the question about the um, the fern. Uh, I think the fern's been embarrassed this time around. It's representative of New Zealand, the koru, you know, and also the figure eight. It's in, it's in, in, numer- in numerology. China, it's, the figure eight is quite a lucky, you know, it's a good number. To us, it's also... It's about now, it's going into August. Tangi tirarau te tangi a te pipi farauro, he tohu no te fitu no te waru. Long and strident is the call of the, you know, the pipi farauro, the shining kuku. It's the sign of the seventh and the eighth months. The eighth months, if you know, if you haven't planted your kumaro, you haven't got out and, you know, started on the next round of uh, planting, you probably missed the bus. And so with you, you haven't done your training, if you haven't done your, you know, hard work, mm. you know, you're gonna, you know, you're not gonna do so well. So we link these, and this is what the uniform is about this time around. Is the is the the Chinese language both in red, you know, is the color to Maori red is the, the color of chiefs, you know. Uh, and uh, you know, it gets all sort of um, intertwined into a presentation which is tweaking the hearts of the athletes as they're listening, they're sitting there listening, and the coaches. You know? And then there's the odd chant, you know, which is like, there's a, one, there's a, there's a thousand year old chant called Mana wa mai te putung o te riki, mana wa mai te putung o te tauira. Kai kiki rungo rupe, kai kiki rangi It goes on like that. The coach and the student have been in the whare wānanga of learning, and now the time has come to parade the student you know, for the coach to parade the student, such as the job done by the coach, the standard of excellence, you don't know who's the coach or who the student is, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So there's the old chants. So these chants are, you know, inherent within our culture, the yeah. for proverbs, as well as the proverbs, you know, in terms of achievement and um, Māori componentries, very important to the athletes and the coaches. So uh, it means you, each time you talk, you have to lift your... Well, each games anyway, you have to lift your, you know, the bar a bit in terms of, uh, particularly if the athletes go to both Commonwealth and Olympic and Games, Olympic, yeah. yeah, and summer and winter games. But that, you know, I, this, the presentation is very much differs from the summer to the Olymp- to the winter mm, Olympics. Atfakatoki mm. is appropriate to the winter Olympics. Was one where. You know, uh, getting into Italy, into Torino, uh, mountains snow-covered all over the place. There's a Winter Olympics, you see. Mm. And um, there's this, I was reminded because I talked to the athletes, the majestic mountains search the valleys below, asking where are the people, you know, in our culture. Mountains need people, people need mountains. You never conquer mountains, you only climb them, you know. Rārangi maunga, tūtunu, tūtunu, rārangi tangata, ngorono, ngorono, you know. The mountains range there forever and ever. People are here today, gone tomorrow.
Performing the well-known haka Kamate Kamate was criticised by some who stated that it may have been overdone at the last Commonwealth Games. So the question may be asked, will we see the haka performed too many times at Beijing? Amster disagrees with that view, saying that the haka is about spontaneity and is unique to Aotearoa. People love the haka, it's passionate. Um, you know, Wordsworth said that, you know, great poetry, the spontaneous overflow, powerful emotions recollected in tranquility. Uh, the haka is all about that. Um, I know we've got great poetry because I studied great poetry, you know, it's just, just that easy in terms of... And Māori has always been a poetic society and, mm. and, you know, the haka is poetry in motion if ever there was. But in, in, in for Aussie to say that, you know, they got tired of the haka is, who are they? You know, we went over there with the uh, Commonwealth Games. Uh, we ended up in a village called the Wurrumjuri sign was there and that was the name of the tribe, but none of them were there to welcome us. So I said to Dave Curry, I said, no, I'm not very happy being here without being welcomed by the local people. Like, you know, I wouldn't go into uh, Ngāpuhi or somewhere else like that in New Zealand without, you know, at least having the consideration of a welcome. So Dave, uh, and two days later, this woman come from the Wurundjeri tribe. She did a heart-rending talk. Uh, there was once a you know, 20,000 of us, now there's only 350, no one speaks our language anymore, mm. all my ancestors are gone, Same. our tradition here. Yeah. So that was a really harrowing, uh, but, but you know, tearful time, and there probably wasn't a dry eye in our village anyway, there was about 70 to 100 people there listening to her. So when it comes back to the Aussies saying, you know, who are they to talk about culture? What is their culture, you know? Uh, so I, I got on to the, what was that, close-up and gave them a bit of a rocking in terms of, you know, Aussies look after your own, we look after ourselves. Yes. But the things that go around about the haka is I can't uh, entertain is that uh, women don't do the haka, you know, I, I refute that, you know, kapanapana and ruomoko, for instance, you know, they go together, women do the haka like nobody else does the haka. And there's sometimes we cannot do the, you know, we wouldn't dare do Ruo uh, Moho probably without Kapanapana. You know, um, what the haka is about is about the union between the man and the woman. So, you know, can you imagine <laughs> men doing it by themselves? Mm. Nah. Mm. So women do the haka, you know, there's all these sorts of ignorant uh, and sort of uh, yeah, ignorant and Probably, what are the kind of statements they make? Um, negative statements in yeah. terms of what haka stands for when they know nothing. I mean, this haka is about to scare people off. Yeah, that's the last thing the haka wants to do. The haka is to settle your own butterflies, you know. And this, imagine two two people versed in uh, in uh, you know in the, in the, well known in the haka, trying to scare each other off. I mean, it doesn't happen. You're settling your own butterflies and you just want to settle your own self mm. down, you know. And so there's all that sort of stuff that's out there that really has no uh, has no validity. And um, that's that's just the, the the front part of the haka, you know. Haka is political satire, the air satire, things of the day. If you want health, you know, if you want to satire this sort of... Uh, 
there's a haqqa on prohibition. You know, there's a haqqa on taxation. Well, I mean, before the white men came to New Zealand, there was only death. Then, then, then came taxes, death and taxes. So we got a haqqa on both those. Mm. You know, we got a haqqa on between the union and the man and the woman. You, know, you, you name it, we'll put, we'll put a haqqa on it. You know, so it's quite a ubiquitous kind of a tradition in terms of the haqqa. Poetry in motion, spontaneous, spontaneity, you know, all that sort of stuff. And um, I don't know where these people get the, the idea that women don't do the haka. I just can't believe it. So these things get around. Yeah, we're still an infant in terms of infancy as as a nation, particularly understanding what what makes us tick. Mm, mm. So who knows where we go from here? <laughs> Nei a rui a Pirahama anō me te whakamārama o te whakatau ki nei. Tēnā e tama ki te tāe e koe e tēnei mahi, ka tāe anō hoki e koe ngā mahi o te hāhi. And basically what that means was, son, if you overcome these challenges and you're successful in your music career, then you have overcome the issues of the church and uh, you've addressed what I wanted and intended for you. Ko tōku ingoa, ko hariru i a Perahama, a heuri au nō roto mai ngā kāwai o Ngāti Kuri i Taupauri Puhutiare, a, ko te marae, ko te reo mihi, ko te kāinga, ko te hāpua, te tākitaku matua, te tākitaku whāia nō roto mai ngā kāwai o a, Ngāti Tūrangi Tukua, Ngāti Pikia Huawai, Ngāti Tūwhare Toa, ko hīrangi a, te kāinga, ko Tūwhare Toa i Taupauri te whare, o tira i whakatupuriakea hau, Mata ko tōku whānau i runga o rātana pā. Kia ora koutou. E te iwi, kua tai mai nei mātou ki te mutunga o te ahika. Ko maraia rakuraku tēnei, he mihi atu ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Ai, ko Justin Murray tēnei ki ngā hoa mahi, kia ora. Nau mai hoki mai anō e te iwi, hei a tērā wiki. Mauri ora.